I'm Christy Dehaven, and welcome to this autumn edition of the Island Skies at Night with Howard Parkin. The nights are drawing in, and that has got to be a good sign for those of you who are wanting to look up at the skies and see what we can see up above the Isle of Man. Howard, uh, welcome back to the Thank studio. You. Nice to be here again. Chrissy. And welcome back to the island, because you do tend to go away quite a I lot. I do have to go away occasionally, so when I do, it's always great to come back. Oh, where have you been most recently? And what, uh, what most recently was on holiday, genuine, full-on holiday, oh. not working on a cruise ship. We went to Disneyland with my grandchildren to celebrate my 70th, and then we went up to Scotland with the Manx Retirement Association. Had a wonderful time. And when and you're travelling, do you always always make a point of trying to look up anyway oh, just absolutely. to see. Oh, absolutely. Well, if I'm doing, even if I'm on holiday like I've just been, I actually, how sad is this? I took a picture. We were watching the fireworks over the castle of Disney in Disneyland, and, or Disney, Euro Disney, and um, I got a wonderful picture which has got the Star Arcturus directly above the castle. <gasps> see, we always have a, a, a joke picture at the Astronomy Society about astronomical photographs. So here's this beautiful, picturesque castle of um, Euro Disney, and there's a dot in the sky above it. And that's Arcturus. It's like a, lo- a lucky star above Absolutely. the Disney castle. Why that's not? so beautiful. That's my excuse. To just make excuse to... And meteors is another good one to look watch for when you're looking at some spectacular monuments somewhere and you see a meteor in the sky. Wow, what a impression that makes. Well, I have to say thank you to you because you were telling us about the last meteor shower sort of just at the, when we did in, our summer, August, summer chat yeah, in minutes, August. Yeah. yeah, And I saw at least three Possibly more, you know, the corner of your eye. Sorry, I said Leonid's then, it's the Perseids. Yes, the Perseids was very good this year in particular because A, we had some lovely clear sky. I know we had rotten weather in August, but there was a few decent nights, which is obviously when you looked. Um, But this year there's no moonlight to interfere, so as a consequence we got to see quite a few. I was away, but I saw quite a few. And um, you always get a buzz. Even now, over the years, I've seen hundreds of meteors, but you always get a buzz. Yeah, there's one, and so on. It's just great. It's just so exciting. And we've exciting. got one coming up in October we can talk about as well. Oh, fantastic. We'll come back to that one. Uh, but I just want to bring up something, first of all, because there have already been a scutcher photos posted on the Isle of Man Aurora Facebook group. Indeed, there has. There have been some fabulous Aurora displays. I have. In September in particular, the middle of September, where just before that, we had that lovely stretch of weather for a couple of weeks in September before it went downhill, and there was a number of times when people were seeing aurora i saw one myself didn't see many because I, i've seen it other times and um, but there's some beautiful photographs out there mainly from places like peel balaf beach that sort of thing because that's where you get to see it on the northern coast you're probably not going to see them again now you might do it depends on the activity of the sun which is actually increasing as we go towards the new what we call solar maximum which is until 2025 so you've got plenty of time for this to increase slightly uh, but september and march tend to be the best and around before midnight usually um but be warned and i tell people this all the time the camera lies mm-hmm. these spectacular pictures and these spectacular colors you see with the camera you will not see with the naked eye but it's like i often liken it to seeing a football match or a tennis match or a rugby match when you walk in the stadium you see that pitch there's such a buzz you're seeing it live as it really will be or has been and um, it's the same with astronomy when you actually see things live rather than a photograph or on tv or something um, it, it, it gives you that real buzz and it still does all these years later on for me and uh, long may it continue. So how do you know what you're looking at with the aurora then? Because if you can't see them, how do you know they're well, you, there? What you see is a patch of white coloured cloud, should I say, in the sky. But obviously the big hint for aurora is you see the stars through it. It isn't just um, a cloud. It, you can actually see the, 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 the stars shining through it. And then it will develop and it'll move. It moves slowly. Um, it, sometimes it waves, sometimes you get pillars, sometimes you get curtains. And they, they tend to be white in colour with a hint of green. 
Now, one advantage of being south of the auroral oval, which is over the Arctic Circle, basically, is we get to see the colours above it. So we get to see the purples. Now, one picture in particular, I think they put it on the front page of the Courier, one picture in particular um, show beautiful greens and purples above it and different elements um, showing different um, colours. And what we're seeing is the aurora above the standard or the, the normal aurora, the green aurora, we're seeing the purples above it. And that's what we got to see uh, a few weeks ago. We're very fortunate over here because we do have some excellently talented uh, photographers who yes, have got some brilliant photos of and the ones some of them I love looking at of oh, the yeah. Milky Way that you oh, can the see it so clearly yeah, Brooke Wassall just put one on the yeah. other day of the Milky Way over the sound it, breathtaking again the camera shows far more detail than you see with the naked eye but on a really dark crystal clear night which we'll get in the middle of the winter in particular it's cold and frosty the Milky Way is just breathtaking and again because we've got such wonderful dark skies in the Isle of Man and quite a number of locations 26 to be precise these locations you go there but remember as well Get your eyes used to the dark. It's so easy to just go outside. I bet when you went meter spot and you put your head outside, look for meters, nothing to see, in you go. That's what a lot of people do. Don't do that. Wait at least 10 minutes, probably 15 or so, and then you'll start to see the wonders. It is good And you know one of the best tips I was given years ago by a learned astronomer? If a car comes towards you, yes, turn away from it, close your eyes. Mm -hmm. Don't worry about protecting your eyes by shielding them or whatever. Just close them. Obviously, try not to get the glare of the headlights through your eyelids or whatever, but just close your eyes until that light has gone and say to your colleague, are they gone yet? And he's got his eyes open. Well, it's his fault. <laughs> well <laughs> said. Just close your eyes. Tip. That's the answer. Well, we're very fortunate, as you said, because we do have the dark sky sights and it is that time of year when it is getting that bit darker earlier. It is. Well, the thing is, as it gets darker earlier, as we were just saying from about late August onwards, you can see far more. And one great thing that p- tells people that autumn is on the way is when you go outside and look towards the northern horizon in September, you'll see sitting on the northern horizon the plough. Ursa Major, to give it its proper name, sitting on the northern horizon. And that always happens in autumn because of the earth going around the sun and everything else. The plough sometimes is in different positions, but it rotates around the pole star. But when it sits on the horizon and everyone is familiar with it, because believe it or not, we all look straight ahead. We don't look overhead, we look straight ahead. So you look at the western, the northern horizon, you'll see the plough sitting there. And people will say to me in six months' time, where's the plough gone? I can't find it. It's disappeared. It's directly overhead, that's why. And that's a common factor. The other thing, the other great thing is that there's two great constellations in the sky. There's the plough, proper name Ursa Major, the plough is just part of it. But the other one is Orion. And when we see Orion, winter's on the way. Only this morning I was talking to someone who said they got up early in the morning, they saw Venus shining bright in the morning sky, right next to the constellation Orion. And when you see Orion, that tells you winter's on the way. And we always joke about it because when Orion is rising, winter's coming. When he stood upright in the sky, it's midwinter. And when he falls over and starts heading towards the western horizon, spring is on the way. And this is how the ancients did it. They recognised the stars, the patterns and the things they brought. A famous story of the Pleiades, which is a group of stars. Most people know this fuzzy patch of stars near Orion called the Pleiades. They rise every year in around September onwards. That's when the Nile used to flood and they're known as a watery part of the sky because the Nile would flood when Pleiades, the the seven sisters who were weeping because one of their their siblings died, so they're weeping and the sky has got these watery features in it and the Nile floods. So there's some truth to all this mythology. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful. It really does add a real kind of magic to it, doesn't it? It does, it certainly does. And it's true, every time you see the Pleiades coming up, which come up just before Orion comes up in the um, around midnight in uh, September, October time, uh, it it gives you credence to the story. 
Oh, see, we're all going to be looking out for that now. And you mentioned the Perseids, obviously. We've had them earlier in the year, but we've got a chance to see some more meteors if we miss those. Yes, we have indeed. We've got the Orionid meteor shower, which peaks on and around the 20th of October. And this is just like any other meteor shower. They come from the same part of the sky because the Earth is passing through a part of space where there's debris left over. And interestingly enough, the debris that causes the Orionid meteor shower is from Comet Halley. Um, which, of course, some of us might remember from 1986. We'll be around again, though, if you want to watch it in 2061. Well, I don't think I'll be around then. I don't think I'll be around for that one. (laughs) Uh, But the Halley's Comet left this debris in its wake, if you like, and the Earth passes through this part of space every year around the 21st of October, uh, a little few days before, a few days after. uh, But the 21st is the best time to look for it, which is this weekend coming up, I think. It is, yeah. So get yourselves out. And and as Howard was saying, make sure you let your eyes adjust. Get used to the dark. Yeah. Okay. And um, there's not much moon around. I think from memory the moon is new on the 14th, so it'll be about a, a, three quarter, a quarter moon, but that'll be in the western sky, so you're looking towards the east around midnight. It's the best time for meteors. Um, and they come from the constellation Orion, which we were just talking about a moment ago. But don't think you've got to identify Orion. Just look in an easterly direction around midnight and look for shooting stars. And if you see them, have a wish on them. It's a lot of rubbish, but it's good fun. It is good fun, exactly. And actually, you know, it's not just about meteors. There's been an eclipse as well. There was an eclipse a few days ago. We had the annular eclipse of the sun across the Caribbean, um, which was a quite a spectacular event. Uh, what happened on this particular eclipse, the sun is half a degree wide and the moon is sometimes slightly bigger than half a degree, sometimes slightly more than, more than half a degree wide. And as a result, if the moon is furthest away from us or at its furthest, what we call apogee, it will not cover the sun. So when it, at the point of maximum eclipse, you get a ring of sunlight around it. Or an annulus, that's where the word annular comes from. It's an annulus eclipse. And then um, they're quite, quite spectacular. Uh, you don't get the spectacular prominences and solar corona and things like that, the diamond ring effect, which are the breathtaking things you see from a total solar eclipse, but nonetheless, well worth seeing. And immediately, two weeks after that, of course, we've got a lunar eclipse. That happens quite often because when the moon and sun are lined up, you tend to get a lunar eclipse before or after a solar and vice versa. Uh, we have a total eclipse of the moon, but it's only a very small one. What's going to happen is the Earth is going to pass through the main... Yes, the moon is going to pass through the Earth's shadow. Um, at a roughly half past seven at night, um, for about four hours this takes place, 28th of uh, October. But the very lower part of the moon will go slightly dark. So you've got a beautiful, bright, silvery full moon. And all of a sudden the bottom bit will... Hang on, there's something going wrong here. Now why is it going dark when it's a full moon? That's because it's passing through the Earth's shadow. And that will be visible from the Isle of Man. And... Um, That'll be visible, as I say, starting roughly about half past seven, uh, right through to about 11 o'clock. Peak, I think, is around half past nine. Um, If it's a clear night, go out and have a look and see for yourself and just speculate what people used to think in the ancient times when they see these things. What's going on? The moon, which is there all the time, all of a sudden, something's taking a bite out of it. Something's gone wrong. What's happened? Who have we upset this time? And that's where the stories and mythology comes from. There's a lovely story. I must tell you this lovely story about Columbus. Christopher Columbus in 1502 was beached in Jamaica. He had problems with his ship and whatever happened, him and his men were marooned in Jamaica. And they got on so-so with the locals for a long while. But then the the locals got fed up with these sailors um, doing what they were doing. So they stopped supplying Columbus and his men with food. And this was a catastrophe because obviously they needed food. So Columbus, knowing there was a lunar eclipse taking place a few days later, he said, if you don't give us our food, I'm going to turn the moon off. And of course, go away, Mr. Columbus, you're not giving you any food. Of course, the eclipse happened. They begged Columbus to pray to his God to restore the moonlight. So Columbus, knowing that the eclipse would be so long, went back to his ship, 
which must have been still serviceable to live on, if nothing else. And then um, when the eclipse finished, he came back and said, OK, I've turned the moon back on now. And they gave me supplies. Brilliant. That is a 100% true story. <laughs> Look it up. Columbus and the eclipse. Look it up. And it's a lovely story. And we can see something about that, um, as I say, from the island on the 20th, 28th, 28th of uh, October. 28th of October, great stuff. And, and, and just, just to finish the eclipse story, 8th of April this next year, 8th of April 24, we've got another eclipse, this time going across America the other way, from the Gulf of Mexico up through Newfoundland. And that one will be visible at sunset from the Isle of Man, as again, a tiny eclipse from the Isle of Man, but nonetheless, it will be visible from the island. And no doubt I'll be talking about that one nearer the time. So well worth putting that in your diary for the meantime. The There's something about an eclipse, though, that really makes you feel like you are part of the universe. It does. It's a very well, good way to put it because I was watching the Brian Cox film, not Brian Cox, it was um, Tim Tim Peake's programme the other day and he actually said that about when you see an eclipse it makes you realise we're part of the universe, mm. that we think we're powerful, we think we can do anything, but these phenomena, these magical phenomena, I've been very fortunate to see two total, total eclipses uh, in the last, I saw one in 2006 and one in 2017 and it's one of the few times in my astronomical career that I've been speechless because it really is mind-blowing. You see this precision that the moon covers the sun and only for a minute or two, and you see this wonderful effect called the diamond ring effect and the burst of sunlight before and after the eclipse. And it, they're really worth seeing. We haven't got long to wait till there's one visible from the Isle of Man. Oh, when is that going to be? 2151. That's not too far off. No, it's not 10 to 10. <laughs> <laughs> I wish it was. Yeah, I wish it was. No, there's a, there are a couple of good ones in 26, and there's one over northern Spain, which will be very spectacular, the Isle of Man. But, it, but I recommend anyone, if you've got the wherewithal and the ability to do it, if you get the chance to go and see a total solar eclipse, there is nothing like it. And I know I'm totally biased about my subject, but they really are breathtaking. You're listening to our Island Night Sky Seasonal Special as astronomer Howard Parkin gives us some great reasons to look up after dark in autumn. And what about planets then? What can we see in the autumn sky planet-wise? Well, we're blessed at the moment because we've got a spectacular planet in the morning sky, Venus, which is like a searchlight. If you get her around four or five o'clock in the morning, you can't miss it. It is absolutely unmistakable. And it's not even got its furthest distance from the sun yet. When it gets its furthest distance from the sun, then we've got a bit more longer before it's, it, it becomes not visible again. And that doesn't happen until the 23rd of October in, in literally about a week's time. So it's dominating the morning sky. What basically I'm talking about there is Venus, of course, is inside the orbit of the Earth and the sun. So it gets so high above the Imagine a, a draw a line from the sun to Venus. That line gets longer and longer and longer until the 23rd of October. Then Venus goes around the back of the sun and um, we don't see it then, of course, but that happens, takes a few months to that to take place. So Venus, unmistakable in the morning sky, but not to be outdone, Jupiter in the evening sky, not quite as bright, but equally spectacular. And that's amongst the stars of Aries, just ahead of the stars of um, Taurus and Orion we were talking about earlier. And that's quite spectacular. And about 90 degrees from that, we've got the fainter, but quite easy visible Saturn, I mentioned about the fainter constellations of autumn. Well, Saturn is one of the brightest objects in the autumn sky. So we've got Saturn and Jupiter in the evening, and you've got Venus in the morning. And you've got Mars isn't visible at the moment. It's behind the back of the sun. It's not visible. And Mercury pops up every now and then, but not particularly easy, easy to see. But Venus in the morning, Jupiter in the evening, um, most spectacular, well worth a look out for. So which direction do we look in for each of them? Well, Jupiter actually goes through what we call opposition, which means it's directly opposite the sun. So at midnight, it's due south. So it rises about 7 o'clock, it sets about 5 o'clock, so it's visible all night. And you just look towards the west, depending on what time you're looking. If you're looking around 
eight nine o'clock at time it's going to be west southwest if you're looking after midnight it's going to be southeast uh, venus of course all is above the eastern sky saturn definitely you've got to look towards the western sky and look for that one bright object that's nearby and that almost certain will be saturn and if you've got a small telescope or a pair of binoculars, you might even get to see the rings of Saturn, which is always a spectacular object. So you don't need something really, really fancy to no, see no. it? No, no. A pair of binoculars, you'll see that this is not a dot, it's not a star, it's something, it's a disc. And if you've got a good pair of binoculars and the seeing's good, the seeing is the phenomenon we use when the sky is at its best, um, you might just make out the rings, and that's always a great plus as well. How exciting. That's the wow factor. We always call that the wow factor when people see Saturn's rings. Well, I'm going to ask you about something else, which you're probably going to poo-poo this, Howard, but I'm going to raise it because recently there's been a lot of chatter in certain news channels about aliens. (laughs) There was a photo. Here we go. Sorry, listeners. (laughs) Am I allowed to swear? (laughs) I'm going to have to ask you. So there's a photo uh, that has emerged from Mexico, which they're trying to debunk at the minute of some aliens. And Professor Brian Cox has been weighing in because, of course, everyone has been sort of contacting him and saying, surely we're not the only ones out there. Go on then, have your say, Howard. Well, yes, Surely we are not the only ones out there. When you look at it, and there is a thing you can look it up called Fermi's Paradox about where all the other aliens might be. And when we consider the size of the universe, how many stars there are, how many galaxies there are, and everything else, there must be life elsewhere in the universe. That's why we're sending spacecraft to Mars and to Jupiter and places like that, because we want to know if the ability for life to start off as primitive amoeba or bacteria or anything else, that's what you need to start with. You saw the, I'm sidetracking slightly, you saw the samples coming back the other day from the OSIRIS-REx mission? Yes. They're looking to see if those samples may have within them the carbon compounds from which life could evolve. That is the main purpose they've done that for. And this quest for finding life elsewhere is a huge, massive thing for the astrophysicist and the geologist and the scientist and everyone else. So there must be life elsewhere. And I firmly believe there is life elsewhere out there. But they can no more reach us than we can reach them. I do not believe in flying saucers. I do not believe in aerial phenomena that they've got little green men inside or they've died and they've been dissected in Mexico, who, interestingly enough, won't release the samples they've got to any other scientific community. Isn't that a bit I odd? I wonder why. I Made mean, the Cyrus Rex, they brought back a pound, a, a pound, a quarter, half a pound of material from this comet. They're spreading that around the world for scientists yeah. to, to look at it in Paris, in London, in Canada, Australia. They're spreading it around. They've got a skull of an alien in Mexico. Oh, no, you can't have it. You can't have it. We're looking at it first. Ah, load of rubbish. That's the thing with scientists. The thing I, I love about science is that scientists share everything. Exactly. And they, they basically want you to debunk they them do. because it means that they will learn and That's find the, the real answer. The thing in science, you come up with a theory and then everyone tries to knock it down. Mm-hmm. And the more they try to knock it down and they can't knock it down, the more credible the theory becomes. It proves your theory. And that's yeah. exactly what they've done. Einstein did it. And even now we're trying to disprove Einstein. And what we're doing now is we're not proving Einstein wrong. We're proving the, not proving that he's correct. We're proving that he wasn't wrong, which is yeah. a subtle difference. It but is. aliens, to go back to your question about aliens, I do believe in alien life. And I do believe there may well be aliens out there in the cosmos who are um, intelligent. We're going to say we're intelligent then, but maybe not. There's a wonderful thing called the cosmological anthropic principle. Oh, that sounds very fancy. Very, very fancy. All it means basically is that other life has evolved on other planets in the universe, but um, they're at a similar stage that we are, and they don't have the ability to travel. No one can travel faster than the speed of light, despite what you watch on TV and Star Trek and everything else. It is a fundamental uh, physical fact. You can't go faster than the speed of light until someone comes up with a theory, and nobody has, and I don't think they ever will. 
so alien life i am sure alien life does exist elsewhere in the cosmos but they can no more reach us than we can reach them i suppose the thing is if we do find something that's been returned to us you know with carbon or whatever it's it's it would be quite a quick process wouldn't it in theory for things to evolve once you have the sort of building bricks well again yes but the problem we think now is that the reason the earth is you relatively unique, certainly in our solar system, is you don't just need the compounds to do it, you need something else to trigger it. And we think the comets brought the water to the Earth. We think comets and asteroidal impacts brought the water to the Earth, mm. which may not have happened in other places. But then when you consider how many thousands and thousands of planets... I use the analogy, I've probably used it before with you, they reckon there's one star... Uh, for every grain of sand on the Earth's beaches, there's one star in our Milky Way. And then there's as many Milky Ways as there are grains of sand. Incredible. And each one of them has got as many... You know, the, the figures are just astronomical. Oh, very good. <laughs> Do you know what? At this point, can I recommend to everyone, there's a brilliant film uh, which is based on a Carl Sagan book which is called Contact. Oh, yes. And it's well worth watching for it's all of now, those reasons. Great, oh, it's fabulous, isn't it? it is Jodie Foster yeah. and, yeah, it's, it's worth watching. Of an unidentified radio source from deep space can neither be confirmed nor denied. Whatever it is, it ain't local. This may be an announcement to get our attention. Well, what activities are there on the Isle of Man then, Howard, through autumn? Well, again, because it's this time of the year and because I'm going away in November, so I've packed a few in, um, there's a talk at the observatory. I'm delighted to say we're doing an event at the observatory on the 27th of October. The newly named observatory. The newly named James Martin Observatory, yes. That's an Eventbrite uh, activity. But don't despair if all the tickets have gone, which they may well have done so by now because they already went on sale on the 1st of October. Uh, We're going to be doing another one in February and possibly another one in March. I don't know yet. But there's also a talk down at the Sound uh, I'm doing a talk at the Sound on the 20th of uh, this month, which is, I'm actually talking all about the um, working with the right stuff, the thing that made astronauts do what they do. And it's it's based on the film The Right Stuff. If anyone's ever seen the film The Right Stuff, a Tom Wolfe film called The Right Stuff, it's a wonderful film. It's one of those films that I've actually got it on a CD and I take my CD player sometimes on the plane with me and I'll watch it on an airplane going somewhere and I could watch it again and again and again. That one, Contact and The Martian. They've got to be my three favourite films. They're excellent. All good films. Yeah. Um, but as well as that, we've got other activities taking place. We've got, uh, I started my night school classes uh, this month. Uh, no, last month. Last, the first class was at the end of September and they're going through right now till March. And hopefully we'll have loads more activities. I'm actually giving a presentation to the government about dark skies uh, later this month. Uh, so hopefully that might lead to some progress with the dark skies um, situation on the island. So I'm always busy. But, you um, are always busy. It's just great fun. I just enjoy doing it and I enjoy talking about it, as you probably noticed. Which we love. And where, <laughs> where can people go then to keep a track of the different events? Well... If it's an Isle of Man Astronomical Society event, they'll be on our website as well. But what I do myself on my own Facebook page and indeed my Astromanx Facebook page, I'll put any activities and events I'm involved in. But it's not just me, obviously. There are other people doing things as well. We're hoping to do a steam railway trip again this Christmas. They're always great fun. We go on the steam train down to Castletown and then it's cloudy and we'll come back again. (laughs) But the first year we did that, it was spectacularly clear and I must be the only person in the world ever um, busy stargazing in Poulson Park there with about 20, 30 people gathered around me and the train whistled summoned us back to the train because if you don't if you don't come now we'll go without you <laughs> where else could you do that in a steam train but the Isle of Man oh do you know what combining those elements of our life here is just fantastic it is isn't it's it? just so unique and it's, it's just good fun as well
So plenty to look at in the autumn skies above our very heads here on the Isle of Man. Howard, thanks as ever. Um, we could come back and do a winter chat for us? Yeah, I'd love to do a winter chat for you because there's so much to see in the winter sky. Um, just briefly, going back to the autumn sky, the autumn sky is quiet. There are no really bright stars in the autumn sky. We've got Jupiter dominating the sky at the moment, but that's the planet, obviously. Uh, but the sky is quiet, and then all of a sudden these majestic constellations of winter rise with Taurus and Gemini and Orion and Sirius and all those phenomena. And the sky in winter is just spectacular. Not because it's winter, because the Earth is where it is on its axis. If you're in Australia, it's the other way around. They get them in the summer. So we are blessed with such wonderful sights in the winter. And, of course, we've got the um, the Gemini meteor shower in the middle of December, just before Christmas. That's always worth talking about as well. So I'm more than happy to come along and do another chat anytime. And, the, and it's one way to celebrate the shorter days. Absolutely. And yeah. that actually peaks on the 21st of December, which is the shortest day of the year. Perfect. It's almost like I knew. <laughs> <laughs> Howard, as ever, thank you very much. Happy stargazing. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me along. <laughs>